0: Our epistle lesson this morning is found in Revelation chapter 19, reading verses 1 through 10. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Father, we confess this morning that it is only in your light that we see light. We're dependent upon you for all truth and for all wisdom, and we ask, God, that you would give that today according to your promise. You have spoken this word, and you have granted us your spirit to lead us into all truth, and so we ask that you speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Undoubtedly, some of us come to today feeling a bit discouraged and defeated, perhaps because our political candidate or candidates were not victorious in the recent elections. Others perhaps come with a bit more encouragement and excitement because particular candidates prevailed in the elections. Polls show that the vast majority of us simply can't stand any more of it, that we're weary of the 24-hour news cycle and wondering if we can take just any more of breaking news at the top of the hour. It's quite easy in these moments in which we live in the midst of a global pandemic, in which we have social uncertainty, in which we have political turmoil, to become discouraged and for us to lose perspective in life. And we've said that this is why it's critical to read the letter of Revelation— Because Revelation is a series of visions that the Apostle John has, in which he's not swept up from the here and now into the hereafter, simply to tell us what things are going to be like in the future. But rather, John encounters a series of heavenly visions that are designed to rework our understanding of the present moment. John sees the throne room of God, And on that throne there is seated God, and at his right hand is Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain, and the Holy Spirit surrounding it. He sees the triune God, and this is the reality behind all realities. And what is true in heaven, John presses us, will become true upon the earth. And that this vision is offered us in chapters 4 and 5, and then extended through the entire letter in order to reorient our earthly perspective through this heavenly perspective. So God offers to reshape our perspective on earthly events, on that which discourages us, and on that, through that which causes us despair, God wants to reorient that through these heavenly visions. In chapter 19, we find another vision, a climatic vision. It's a celebratory vision. And then in verse 9, we hear this, the angel says, these are the true words of God. And so it's critical for us to understand what the true words of God are. And we read further in verse 9, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And friends, what's being argued here by God with you today in the middle of your excitement or your discouragement That this is what you need, that this is what you are most desperately in need of, is these true words, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That it's these true words that offer to shape, to inform, and to structure your understanding of the world and the events going on. Because let us remember that we are not the first Christians to encounter social and cultural and even political upheaval. We're not the first Christians to meet a pandemic. No, these Christians in the first century, to whom John originally wrote, were involved in all kinds of these events. But what God offered to them was a heavenly perspective on these earthly events. And so this is what we desperately need today to be drawn into this heavenly perspective. And we find here in chapter 19 an account of the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the celebratory cause of the chapter as the book crescendos. And there are two realities in particular, two truths that God presses us with and would remind us of this morning. First, we're reminded that our God has committed himself to us. In chapter 19, we find that there is a bride and there is a groom. The bride is the church of God. All the people from the tribes and tongues of the nations who've been ransomed by the blood of our Lord Jesus, whose sins have been forgiven, who've been made a nation of priests, this is the bride. They are the ones that our Lord Jesus laid down his life for. The groom is none other than our Lord Jesus, who came into the world and lived a righteous life, who endured temptation, who went to the cross, who went down into death on our behalf, but then was the one righteous one, so death could not hold him, and so he destroyed sin and evil and death from within. He's victorious. And now we have pictured before us this groom and his bride, the church that he bought, But to appreciate exactly what's going on here in chapter 19, we have to understand something of Jewish wedding, of the Jewish wedding and of its festivities. There's two stages to that that are important for you to grasp, to grapple with. The first is that there is a betrothal. Now, this is more than our modern-day notion of engagement. At the betrothal, the marriage was actually accepted. God's blessing is pronounced, at the betrothal, and the bride and groom legally become husband and wife, but significantly, they do not form their own household. But the betrothal had a significant and a substance over which engagement today doesn't. There's then a second stage that follows. There's an interval of time that separates the official betrothal and then the wedding festivities, which was the supper of the groom. During that interval of time, the groom paid a dowry to the, husband, to the father of the bride. And then the bride was to prepare herself, and the groom was then to prepare the feast. In Jewish culture, this often unfolded over seven days, and so it was a massive festival. But on the evening of the festival... The groom processed to the bride's house. It was normally at night, torches were lit, and he was surrounded by his closest friends and family. They sang and laughed and danced. They arrived at the house of the bride and picked her up and then took her back in that procession to the home of the groom where everyone then gathered for the joyous festivity of the supper of the groom. And in chapter 19... This is the imagery that's being provided. As the bride, we continue to await this marriage supper of the Lamb. But significantly, this doesn't mean that today you are simply left on your own until then. Follow the metaphor once again. Because God has, in Jesus Christ, betrothed you to himself. He has committed himself to you. He has made you his own legally and formally. When Jesus Christ comes into the world in which he dies on the cross and is raised from the dead, he cancels out your sins, the record that condemned you, and he removes it, and he has made you God's own. Friends, we are betrothed to God. That betrothal is not due to any achievements or accomplishments on our behalf. It's not due to any worthiness of the things that we can offer to God. But rather, God came to us in Jesus, and he made us his own. He made us his bride. There's nothing lacking in that negotiation. There's nothing incomplete. And friends, in the Christian life, and all the uncertainties and all the complexities of life in a fallen world, this is the confidence that you need to negotiate that world. If you're to live successfully in that world, if you're going to manage all of those uncertainties and all of those complexities, you need this one confidence. Otherwise, you will be an anxious wreck. But when you know that you've been set apart... That in Jesus, God chose you to be in this company of the church, to be his bride. There is something unalterable there, something that doesn't change, something that doesn't shake, something that doesn't waver. He has chosen you to be his own. He's committed to you. That's what we see here in this heavenly vision as we await this future event of the marriage supper of the Lamb but that we have been blessed because we have been invited. We are the bride. The second thing that we're reminded of here is also that God will consummate this plan. The one that he has called his beloved, that he has betrothed to himself, he will certainly follow through, that there are no jilted brides in the economy of God. No one is left to themselves. Rather, God comes Jesus Christ returns, and he comes to rescue his bride. And that is the story we have presented here to us in Revelation 19. We find that the bride has made herself ready. And then we learn this in verse 8. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." All of this language is a reference to Isaiah 61. If you were to follow into verse 10 there, you would find that it is God the one who prepares the bride and the groom. He clothes them in garments of salvation. And what Isaiah makes explicitly clear is that it is God the one who does the clothing. God provides that everything that we receive from the hand of God is a gift from him. And that when it comes to the consummation of God's plan... It too is not because of our achievements or our accomplishments, that it is the gift of God. Many people then stumble over this phrase that the fine linen that we're clothed in as the bride is the righteous deeds of the saints. As with all of the book of Revelation, there's some controversy about how to translate this important phrase the righteous deeds of the saints. There's a grammatical nuance here where it can be translated either the righteous deeds done by the saints, as we have here in the ESV, or the righteous deeds done for the saints. If you look at the one other instance of this phrase in the book of Revelation, it's found in chapter 15, verse 4. The righteous acts are there referenced and they are attributed to God. They are not the righteous acts of the saints. They are the righteous acts done for the saints. And friends, this is the proper way, I think, to understand this verse as well, that what we are clothed in are the righteous deeds of God. Those righteous deeds are His judgments, and they are just. They are just in Jesus Christ, and we are clothed and delivered because we've been granted a righteousness that's not our own. We are clothed in the plans of God to bring forth justice and equity in all the ends of the earth. This is what we're promised, that these are the righteous acts of God on our behalf. And this is why there is such rejoicing in Revelation chapter 19 that the groom comes and he comes, and the bride has been prepared. The bride has been prepared by none other than God, by God in his initiation. And he clothes us in those righteous acts in which he removes all opposition. That w- there will be no bride left at the altar. That there will be no evil. There will be no destruction. That nothing will stop or impede this plan of God because he'll remove absolutely every impurity. And what's being communicated to us is that our salvation from first. To last is the gift of God. It comes from His grace in Jesus Christ. You've been betrothed, and that He will bring about this great marriage supper on that great final day. These two things are true. And so, for Christians in any uncertain times, whether living in first century Rome or 21st century America, these are the truths that you need. Blessed is the one who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed is the one who has been betrothed and made God's own. Blessed is the one who will share in this feast. And friends, it's through that vision, looking to the past as to what God's done for us in Jesus, looking to the future as to what God has planned for us in Jesus, that then reshapes the present No, we don't get overly excited, and we don't become overly despairing. But rather, we focus here, we contemplate, and we consider these truths that have been spoken, these words from God. And they provide us a heavenly perspective on earthly events, that we are the bride of God. We are secure in Jesus Christ not do our own accomplishments, but due to what God has done on our behalf, and that we will be at that marriage supper, that we will experience that blessing, that our Lord Jesus will come to make all things new. He will remove all that opposes him, bringing into judgment all the world's sin and all the world's evil. Our judgment is remitted because it's been passed on Jesus and creation will be righted. This is a reference to Isaiah 25 here in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we learn there on that mountain in Isaiah 25 that God will remove the veil that has covered all the peoples, and that is death, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Friends, it is that great vision that your God displays before you that is to orient you in the present moment. And so trust him. Allow this vision of the God who sits upon his throne today, who's not overturned by any election, whose kingship doesn't end, has been established in Jesus and will certainly be established here upon the earth on this great day, that you will feast and be part of that. Allow that to shape and inform you in these days. Let's ask for his help. Father, we rejoice in your grace that from first to last, our salvation is from you. Salvation and honor and blessing belong to you, and they belong to you alone. You have sent your Son, our Lord Jesus, into the world that we might become your bride, that we would be set apart, and that we await the great day of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so, God, we ask that you would grant us great patience And in granting us patience, may you reorient our perspective that we see the world through the heavenly perspective of your reign and your rule over all the ends of the earth. We thank you that in this time, you grant us the privilege of prayer to bring our burdens and our concerns, to cast all of our anxieties upon you. And so we come praying for our whole world. And we ask, God, that you would fill the world with the knowledge of your glory, even as the waters cover the sea. We long for the day of the marriage supper of the Lamb, but until then, we continue on in our mission to make disciples of all the nations. And so we ask that you bless our mission partners, Don and Claire Elise Cobb in France. As they serve at the seminary there, as they teach and train young ministers to go out into the French-speaking world, we ask that you provide them every resource Grant these ministers encouragement and strength as they go out in Jesus' name. May the church grow strong. May men and women be brought out of darkness into light. We also pray for our mission partners here locally, Tommy and Nikki Park, Aldo Mondon. We ask that you would bless these three as they minister at the University of North Florida use them to reach out into the lives of students, and especially in the midst of the challenges that they face with the pandemic. And may students be drawn into belief in Jesus, and may they mature and grow in discipleship, provide their every need, build and expand their ministry and influence at UNF. And we also today remember with heavy hearts our Cuban friends, The many churches that you've connected us with over so many years and they struggle in no deprivation and shortage today. There is a short supply of information. There is a short supply of food. They struggle, God, but their cries are not unknown to you. Encourage them, build them up through the preaching of your word. And would they know that they are your precious bride and that you have invited them to the marriage supper of the Lamb and you will consummate this great plan. Build them up, O God, and meet all of their needs. We're also mindful this week of your command to pray for all those who are in authority that the church might have peace on the earth, that we continue to serve you serving an alternate king, the Lord of lords, who reigns over all kings, Jesus Christ. And so this morning we pray for our president, Donald Trump. And we also pray for president-elect Joe Biden. And we ask God that you would endow these men with wisdom, that they would lead us into truth and justice and equity and righteousness. Watch over our nation and keep us. Turn us where we have turned from you. And Lord, we pray for those who are sick and who are suffering in our congregation. We're mindful of all of the needs that have been exposed by COVID-19. And God, we ask that in our mortal condition that we not fear, but we draw comfort from the promises of the gospel, of all that Jesus has done for us and all that he will do. We ask God, especially for our elderly, that you protect them, that you guard them. We ask for those who are vulnerable, especially our sick, that you watch over them and show them your care. We ask for our young, that they would grow great in your sight, that their lives would not be impacted by this. And so God, especially give comfort to those who are suffering in our community, those with cancer, those with physical weakness, those who draw near to the end, God. We ask that you give them your personal guarantee of comfort, your personal promise that you will never forsake them. Write that upon their hearts today. May they know that the good shepherd will never lead them, that he stands day by day to take them to green pasture and to lead them to still waters, that even in the valley of the shadow of death, you've not forsaken them. Father, we also pray for our children. We thank you for the great company of kids that you've entrusted to this church. And we ask, God, that they would each be directed to Jesus as they are baptized and brought into this family of faith, God. May they grow great in your sight, growing in stature and wisdom and favor with you and all people. And may they look to Jesus, the one who has betrothed them as a bride, and the one who will take them to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Convince these kids that you've done everything on their behalf and that you will clothe them in your righteous acts in which you guard and defend and protect them and raise them from the dead. Grant them this great hope. Father, these are our prayers. We thank you that we can offer them to you in and through Jesus. There's no other mediator that you have given who can intercede on our behalf. And so we gladly pray in the way that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.